All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show. A men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. Hello and welcome to another episode of Top Tier Talent, a new series where I focus on the stars who are top tier prospects in their sport or industry and focus on finding and highlighting the key skills, habits and mindsets that make them so successful. Today's guest is Kaylee Mackay. She's based in Montreal at the Point Clear Diving Club. She's one of Canada's top 10 metre tower divers and up to recently she formed a partnership with Olympic medalist Megan Benefito in the 10 metre synchro event. They quickly grew to become Olympic gold medal contenders and have also won medals at the Commonwealth Games, the Pan American Games, as well as the FINA, Diving World Series and Diving World Cup. Individually, Mackay has also won a silver medal at the 2019 Pan American Games and a bronze at the 2021 FINA Diving World Cup, where she established herself as a diver to watch. Mackay was initially a gymnast and started diving when she was just six years old. However, her passion for sport was born when she was five. She was watching the Olympic medalist cry on the podium at the 2004 Olympic Games in Athens and she told her parents, I want to go there. I want to go to the Olympics. And as a goal, she is now crushed. Mackay's first podium at the senior national level came at the 2014 Winter Nationals when she was 14 years old and she just came behind her idols, Megan Benefito, and Rosaline Phelan on tower. That's when she realised she could go far in the sport and she has a very bright future. She recently came fourth in the women's synchronised 10 metre platform diving at the Olympics. And in this interview, we cover her story, diving, skill development, competing, and the Olympics, injury and recovery, and so much more. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. Now, you're a big star I'm really keen to have you on because you focused, um, uh, you know, you just came number fourth in the Olympics. You share the same awesome surname as myself. Mm-hmm. For people who maybe don't recognize your name, could you give a quick introduction? Uh, my name is Kaylee Mackay and I'm from Canada. So um far away from you <laughs> with this last name, but um, we have uh, pretty similar ancestors, I'd think. Because that's what they think once in it, that back in the sort of the, the clan systems before the sort of like the Highland clearances and things like that, yeah, we were all kind of in, uh, related and then there was the different variations of the names through the times as people moved. And it's it's quite remarkable to think that there maybe is a DNA history somewhere like through thousands of generations. But yeah, what was your, I mean, you, you're a phenomenal diver, you know, you're a social media sensation. You know, you, you came and got injured just before the the Olympics and most people would have crumbled under that pressure. But for you to come back and still compete and, you know, just miss out on the podium, that's amazing. And I, I loved that mindset, the strength you showed to come in. But what was the initial inspiration to start diving? Because I read somewhere that you were six and you wanted to 
go to the Olympics because you've seen people on the podium? Yeah. Um, so my family has always been really, you know, outgoing and active. Uh, my parents were avid mountain bikers, rock climbers, ice climbers, everything like that. So really adrenaline seekers. So I was like, I think probably four or five, I was doing gymnastics, kind of got a little bored with it because I couldn't compete and they had a lot of restrictions. Um, and we always watched the Olympics, but there is, I think it was the 2006 Olympics that I was watching and I was just so, so motivated. And I saw people on the podium with the cool medals and I would just like, I just, I gotta go. Like I, this is something that I want to do. I don't know what sport I want to do it in, but I'm going to go. Um, so having been bored with the gymnastics since I wasn't allowed to compete or anything, my parents found this summer camp, um, for diving and I did it and right away got asked to join the competitive team and the rest is history. Love it. I mean, I love how you can have a sort of goal. You're not even sure which sport you want to do, but you know, you're going to achieve it. (laughs) You just gotta go. And would you think you would have entered sports if your family weren't kind of sports orientated, you know, whereas there's kind of, uh, like siblings or like family members who kind of inspired you to go into the sporting lifestyle or do you think you're always predestined to get into diving or some other sport um I think just you know naturally I'm just more active um I've always been interested in you know getting my heart rate up and you know pushing myself uh I'm the oldest um sibling in my family so I didn't really have any siblings to look up to and I lived quite far away from other family members so um Mm. really like I think it was just the way that we grew up, um, always doing crazy stuff um, (laughs) in our backyard and flipping. And, you know, it was like, I think I was probably four and my grandpa dared me. We were at this like public pool and he just, he was like, I'll give you like five bucks if you go do a front flip off that board. And right away, just went up and did a flip, not even thinking about it. So it just kind of runs in my blood, I guess, more than anything. You've got to show up, family. That's uh, uh, that's yeah. a rule, you know. Yeah. Because I'm a middle child, it probably shows a lot about it in this Ooh. podcast, to be honest. But I always had this sort of more outgoing, adventurous brother. But it kind of it did motivate me to kind of go right. I'm going to show him. I'm going to get better than him. He's more yeah. academic, but I could always be bigger and stronger. That's the way I like it. Yeah. Now, when you're training, when you're younger, that takes a lot of sacrifices because you miss out on a lot of the, you know, the other stuff kids do you know like they want to go to parties they want to go drinking they want to hang out with friends and stuff how do you deal with that kind of thing that more that dedication you know making those sacrifices or was the motivation to go to the olympics just overpower it did it just take precedent um i mean i did have my um my phase of i remember having literal like a literal fight with my coach when i was about 14 15 i i told him like i don't want to stay for an extra 5 minutes like i don't want to do the extra dives i just want to go be a normal person like i just want to go be a normal kid and um that was a a tough kind of year for me so seeing all my friends you know they're going out to parties they're going out to you know hang out and do the fun stuff and then there's me and i'm training my butt off for 6 hours a day and it was it was hard but the gratification of competing and succeeding and, you know, seeing my progression as an athlete and realizing that like, even though I was young, I was creating a livelihood for myself without really knowing it. And now I'm super grateful for the time and effort I put into it. And I, I realized that, you know, there's sacrifices for a reason and you don't get to, you know, the top um, without any sacrifices. And I've made a lot of sacrifices in my life, not only just, um, 
the missing out on like, you know, the childhood things. But I also moved away when I was 16 from my whole family. So um, I missed my brothers growing up. I missed, you know, being with my family. I get to see them like twice a year maximum now. Um, And I really had to grow up quite fast. So sacrifices aren't, um, you know, the biggest thing for me anymore. I'm kind of like, I I have a good perspective on them. um, Because they're, in the end, it'll be worth it. And, you know, they're sacrifices for a reason. And hopefully people around you can understand why you're making them. So no, it's, that's an awesome answer because it does take a lot to say, no, this is a path for me. No, I'm not going to go out and eat like Nando's or KFC yeah. or something. You know, I'm going to go and I'll have to be healthy or plan ahead of what you can eat when you go to like the cinema or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't fit into your macros and that sort of thing. I mean, we share a similar kind of pathway where I left to go to college when I was 17 and I was not probably emotionally ready, you know, mm-hmm. and I was really homesick and I was just... Like, I'm younger than a lot of the other people who were 18, 19 and that. Did you struggle with that initially? Because you've talked about it feeling like going to Montreal was a very, it was like a complete culture change almost. Oh. Did you, How did you adapt to, you know, leaving the family, training, and having to look after yourself and focus on your training? Um, I mean, yeah, that was this move to Montreal was a pivotal point in my life, and it was definitely a culture shock. I come from... Um, out west in Canada, so Alberta, and it's uh, the you know the Rocky Mountains. We grew up outside. We grew up in the mountains. I grew up fishing, getting my hands dirty. Not necessarily a city girl, um, and I also don't speak French. Well, I didn't. I understand completely now, which is nice. But you know, I, it was <laughs> Alberta and Quebec are very opposite provinces um when you're growing up and it was never somewhere that I thought I was going to live so even when I did come here for the first time um my perspective was it of of it was that I was going to come for three weeks at a time and then go back home and then train in Calgary for a bit and then move back out to Montreal for a few weeks and you know come on and off but I came once and I never left so um luckily I had a good support system um with my teammates my synchro partner um actually billeted me out for a little bit. So I lived with her for about five months um, leading up to the Rio Olympics, uh, which I didn't go to, but she did. And after that, then I ended up living with my now fiance's uh, parents for um, a few months as well. So I had a good support system, which was great, but it was quite hard to leave my family since, you know, I was quite young. I was only 16 and, you know, it's, 16 is young to be living on your own and to be moving across the country and starting a a new life without, you know, your base of support system. So it took a lot of, you know, growing up real fast, but I was kind of used to that since, you know, I was pretty independent for most of my young life with diving and um, traveling and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was just another, another thing to, you know, make me stronger, but I'm really grateful for that opportunity in the end. No, that's awesome because it's, it shows the dedication that you have, that you have your goal when you're younger. And it shows more about your mindset. And I mean, I'm like you, I'm a kind of country person at heart. Yeah. And when I, I mean, I live in Glasgow now and it's kind of, it's like I'm one of the main cities and I'm definitely not a city person. But I think you never lose that kind of country approach to life, do you? You know, like getting hands dirty. Like, I mean, you're on your bio, it says that you like fly fishing. You know, you're not going to see that, <laughs> you know you're probably going to be like me out and playing in the fields and stuff till like God knows what time and getting chased home. And I think that kind of helps 
a strength of character and independence, a sort of ferocity when you're younger, mm-hmm. and like coming from the city. And do you find like that helps your diving? That kind of it almost put a fearlessness into you when you were growing up, and it helped your improvement. You know, what does like a, a typical week now look for you? Because t- diving's like very technical, so you would have like mobility training, core work, you know, gymnastics, that sort of thing. How do you do that with mindset training and have a life outside it? It sounds amazing. Um, Well, I mean, yeah, so diving, what I think is really cool about, you know, talking to people and kind of teaching them more about my sport is that all you see on TV is the five dives I do. And you don't really see what goes on behind, you know, behind the board there. So um, my week is Monday to Friday, I train Um, generally Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would do two practices a day, which um, I would start around 9.30. Um, I go 9.30 to probably 10.30, 10.45. We do um, stretching, a little bit of cardio. We do a lot of abs. And then we do um, flips on the dry land. So we do flips off of a fake platform onto mats. Lots of technical drills. So we do probably like 20 reps of each technical drill just to get that movement in. And, you know, it's all about muscle memory um, and teaching ourselves how to do the dive, you know, bit by bit instead of like doing the whole dive at a time because you got to learn it bit by bit. Um, and then we'll go in the water for about an hour and a half. I'll take a break and then we'll do it all over again, starting at around one in the afternoon. And then the Tuesday, Thursdays, we'll do one practice with the similar, um, schedule and then do some weight training. And then on Friday, I'll do weight training as well. So it's a quite, quite a busy week. I get home around, it's literally a nine to five. So, um, it's hard to find, you know, the time to, um, you know, fit in friends and all that stuff, especially when your job is working out, you're always exhausted, right? Physically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been doing a lot of trying to paint. I like painting a lot and it's a, a good meditation kind of thing for me to get out of my zone and just to be on my own. But, you know, the weekends are generally where I hang out with my friends, but I'm lucky to have a good supporting and, you know, surrounding in the pool with my friends. I've got my best friend there, which is nice and, and a good team. So I don't necessarily crave that socialization so much because I get quite a bit of it at the pool. Because it certainly seems a fantastic setup because your your best friend's Molly Carlson. Um, yeah. a tw- she's a 20-meter diver. Yeah. And I've watched some of her videos on Instagram and that, that looks insane. You know, I've interviewed mm-hmm. uh, Leanne Richards, who's a um, Red Bull cliff diver. And you just think they're off their nut. And then when yep. I watch some of your videos, I'm thinking, she's off her nut. Because oh. to me, I, I can't imagine that body control, that kind of being able to simplify a jump and go into your head because it looks like it's over in seconds to me. But it is. to it's, you, it's less than a second early for, for mine. Yeah. So. That's scary. I mean, how do you even start? I mean, I, I've seen you working with um, the water belt to kind of, you know, you're held on pulleys to kind of control it and slow it down. But how do you start working on a dive? You know, say if they're, if your coach comes with a new movement pattern, how do you start breaking down something? That, you know, is it just hit the, mm-hmm. the dry land gym and rep onto mats until you can get the motion and put it all together? Do you break it down into its contingent parts or... Is there a kind of trick to getting better at diving? Um, so, yeah, basically the thing about learning a new dive, like starting when you're a kid, you got to learn the basics. You learn how to jump. You learn how to take off. You learn, you know, you try to learn the fundamentals with proper technique so that when you're older, 
um, you don't have such a hard time adding new things in. For example, um, when you're a kid, you do one and a half flips. You do a front one and a half, and then you know you gradually incorporate another flip into it, another rotation. And by the time you're 18, you're doing three and a half rotations. So um, we do a lot of water belt. We do a lot of belt on. We have belts on the trampoline, um, which is the same as the water belt, but like you don't jump into the water. You just do the movement, and it's a bit easier for the coaches and for us to do you know, 20 reps rather than doing it in the water because it's quite demanding on both of us. Um, You do a lot of flips on dry land and you incorporate, you know, the come out simulations, the takeoff simulations. And what I have found that's like very helpful is um, doing visualization. So if I, it's funny because for me, if I can't visualize it, I have a really hard time actually doing it. So I spend a lot of time visualizing my dives and especially since I've been injured, I've been visualizing a lot because I haven't been able to do all my dives and um, I can feel the dives when I visualize them now. So um, there's really, there's a lot that goes into it. Every diver is different though, with how they, um, how they manage learning a new dive. And, you know, in the end, (laughs) as much as you prepare, you get to the end of the tower and, and you're like, I've never done this before and I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know that the work that I put in has led me to this point where like, I'm prepared enough, but it's like that mental state where you're like, I don't, really, I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. And <laughs> that's kind of, I think, what drives us too, because it's kind of fun. Like, you're literally just going to check yourself off and hope that you do the thing that you're supposed to do. And when you land and you do it properly, it feels really good. Um, but there is the chance that you don't do it well. Oh, but, I know yeah. that feeling. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, I do uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and there's times I'm sitting, just lying there, getting smashed, <laughs> and I'm like, what I, What am I, I doing? how to do this. <laughs> Especially after COVID, I came back, and it was like, what do you do again? How do you do the basic movements? I mean, that's the... That's the, I suppose, the beauty of like muscle memory. You know, you can practice mm-hmm. something so many times that it goes... But, you know, something that I think a lot of people would just look down and go, shit, that's far down you know like 10 meters five meters three meters whatever it is it's still a scary amount you've talked about using like your positive you know thinking techniques towards your dives how do you plan and use like your visualization technique could you give an example of like what goes through your head before a dive and how do you use visualization to help because when you were talking about that i was delighted because it's rare to see somebody talking about something like that because a lot of times it's they just say, I don't know, I'm just naturally good at it. And that's why I'm so keen to have you on because you go into a lot about your training and your approach. You know, you become a sort of an ambassador, like a social media ambassador for diving, and you're really giving an insight into it. But what goes through your mind when you stand on a board and look down and see such a distance? I mean, over time, the 10 meter doesn't seem so high. Um, And, you know, when you're competing, you've done the dive so many times that it's – it's just routine. So when you get to the board in competition, generally for me, I have, um, I do my power stance and I, I tell myself that I, I say, I'm beautiful. I am capable, capable. I'm confident and I am powerful. I do that just to give myself a bit of like confidence. And then I think about one or two, maybe three key points of my dive that I need to think about that generally those two things will lead to a good dive. Um, because, the rest of the things, the rest of the little movements will come if I do those two things. Um, because in the end, if you're thinking about 10 things for a one second dive, your brain cannot 
um, mm. keep up with that. So um, it's it's funny to think about you know what I think about on the end of the tower because a lot of the coaches are just like don't overthink it, don't overthink it. But then you're like, how am I not supposed to overthink it? Like I'm chucking three and a half flips off of this thirty foot platform. <laughs> like I need to think. But um, it's the yeah, second for, you think about it, into that's yeah. when you go wrong. Yeah. So generally, um, during a competition, depending on which it is, because the the length of the competition you know varies from how many people there are in the event. So I'll distract myself between the dives and try not to overthink what I'm going to do next because that just doesn't help. So I'll distract myself with music, generally country music, which is great. Um, And then like five minutes before my dive, I go meet my coach. They'll tell me my correction. I'll do a like simulation. So I'll do body movements um, that, you know, correspond with what I do in the air, but I'll just do it on the ground without jumping really. Um, and that really, you know, helps with my mental visualization and they'll give me little critiques on movements. If I don't do it right, they'll remind me what I need to do. And then I'll walk up to the platform, take my breath, do my, um, positive thinking and, you know, um, self-motivation. Then I'll get to the end of the tower and hopefully at the end of the tower, you're calm enough to have those two things, um, in the back of your head and then, and then you just go for it. And, generally that works for me. So, um, but everyone's really different. Like everyone's methods. Some people don't, don't want to think some people need to overthink. Like some people need to dance between their dives. Me, it's, uh, me, it's that. So. And, uh, yeah, I mean, cause that's like, for instance, when I do jujitsu, I want to have the move put on me to feel where the pressure points and mm-hmm. the, the flow of it. Whereas other people, you can see them kind of going, Oh, I'm an audio or I'm a visual or kind of learner yeah. or I'm a, you know, and mm-hmm. I need to repeat it over and over to get it into my head. And do you use like box breathing to control stress? Do you have like a method of kind of controlling your breath or are you just at the point of I'm confident enough, hit your mantra and go, I got this, watch this? Um, well, you know, generally I do have my breathing techniques. I'll do the four seconds in, eight seconds out, which helps me not hyperventilate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but other than that, I mean, like, I've, I've had a lot of um, time with my um, my mental prep and my psych to, like, kind of help me with my um, my breathing techniques. And, you know, I do, I do this five – when I'm overwhelmed, I do this five senses technique. So um, you incorporate, you know, sight, smell – um what you can hear what you can touch and what you can taste and like if I get overwhelmed during the competition I'll just do those um and it'll also distract me from um what's going on in the event because you know you're diving against 30 other divers that are amazing you're not gonna want to know exactly like you hear them getting tens and you're like oh crap like I have to get tens now which (laughs) isn't necessarily what you need to be thinking about but um I do have a few mental techniques but a lot of them are kind of like self-taught things that I've found make me more comfortable and and make me calm. No, I like it because uh, I've noticed like a lot of top performers will always have a ritual for, mm-hmm. you know, before they get into the arena as they're warming up. You know, you can usually tell the, the who's going to perform well by how they're performing in like the, you know, the warm-up area and stuff like that. When you work in the... Uh, what an area full of top performers in Montreal. You know, you work with Olympians from your sports and other sports. Do you see a similarity in the approach like a lot of these top performers have in their life and their training 
And how has it benefited you being in, involved with such amazing athletes? Well, I mean, yeah, this facility that we train at is incredible. Um, I've never really seen anything like it other than at like high, high levels, like universities with lots of school teams. But um, at the, the INS where we train, it's um, I think we have 10 sports and it's incredible to see how motivated people are. And it's, it's fun to be in the gym with so many sports that have, you know, the goal of the Olympics. It was fun before the Olympics to see everyone just hammering away and being like in their zone, but still supporting each other. Um, though we don't get to see much of each other's training because we all have very separated uh, facilities within the complex. Um, but I mean, it's fun because like a lot of the people that are at the, the facility that we're at are at the Olympics. So like we train together and then we see each other at the games, we cheer each other on. And even if we're not super close friends, we still have that kind of connection of like supporting each other because we see each other every day and we kind of know what we're going through. But um, it's a pretty incredible facility to have so many Olympians. Imagine like me coming at 16, not knowing anybody that's an Olympian and then going to train there. It was super overwhelming. <laughs> I can well imagine that. I mean, yeah. I went to I went to college, and I found it was kind of like, whoa, you know, having to look after yeah. myself, eating and sleeping and stuff, yeah. and doing college work. You were going in and meeting people that you've probably seen on TV and in competitions, and they kind of blew you away. And I mean, that's what I was keen to speak to you about was one of your. You do a lot of um, solo diving, but you also do partner diving. Mm -hmm. And you were talking before about how you had lived with your um, training partner. Do you think that kind of benefited your kind of building up a relationship? You know, how do you build up that synchronicity, that kind of alignment with your training partner? How do you do it on and off the mats? Do you spend time together? Do you, you know, listen to music together? Do you just rip the mick out each other? <laughs> Did you find a good way of doing it so that your friends on and off the mats, so it, uh, oh, sorry, off the board, so it eventually helps you be a better diving par uh, partnership? Mm -hmm. So you know, my belief of synchro diving is that you need to have a good chemistry. You need to have a good relationship together and a good understanding of who you are. It's not just, you know, trying to get the like proper timing and doing all the reps um, of flips on dry land to, you know, become the best team. Um, and living with Megan, we got to know each other quite well. And it did take us quite a while. We had a, a rough two years of kind of not understanding each other completely um, just like training wise, um, ourselves as athletes, our patience levels our you know, just how we cope with stress. It was very hard. And I think that, you know, when I'm now I'm looking for new partners and I think it's, it's a really important to implement that like chemistry and getting to know each other and caring about each other. Because in the end, if you're at the end of the tower and, and you're just diving with someone just to, you know, say that they're your partner, you're not fully invested in the team itself. And, and I think that creating a team is, it's important to have, you know, um, that chemistry and that care for one another. So Megan and I really worked on ourselves and we worked on getting to know each other and getting to read each other. Cause in competition, if I'm stressed or if she was stressed, I, I knew how to kind of support her and, um, comfort her which was it, after the two years it was quite nice to know and um, you can stand at the end of the tower and and say like to yourself okay she's gonna do what she needs to do I'm gonna do what I need to do and we're gonna be doing this you know the best for the team and another thing was like even when we you know just ate it if we didn't do well in the competition and 
um, one of us missed it. It wasn't, you know, my fault or her fault. It was our, our, our team messed up. That's it. It mm. wasn't necessarily the blame on one person. And I think that that's really important with synchro diving and uh, something that I'll look for in the future. No, that says a lot about your characters where it's more a case of we messed up, you know, and not apportioning blame and just saying, okay, we'll do better the next time. Like, how do you review mistakes? Because of something that can be over in a second, you know, do your coaches record you in slow motion and say, like, you know, that your feet weren't pointed or, you know, you need to get a tighter core here or there? Like, how do you start evolving your skills and working and, you know, just as well as making it fun, but to yeah. learn and review your sessions and become, like, better divers from it? Yeah, so a lot of what – the way I learn, I'm very visual. Um, so, like, I need to be able to associate feelings to, to – seeing what I did. So we, we do have, um, TVs, uh, right beside the pool built into the platform. So it's a instant playback. So once we hit the water, we swim back and it plays within like 10 seconds, I believe. Um, not necessarily seeing yourself on such a large screen. (laughs) No, it's good. It's a, it's a really good feedback for us. Um, and then also we do slow-mo videos, uh, to see, you know, the little, little things that are missing. And generally it's like, your dive can depend on being just a degree off when you jump off the platform. So being able to kind of see that it really helps. Um, and I didn't have that growing up, but when I moved to Montreal, we used it a lot and I can say that it's a really, really useful tool. And I mean, a lot of people kind of, you know, have jumped off a diving board on a holiday and think, ah, diving's easy, mm-hmm. but you're hitting water at, you know, like some ferocity and you're doing a high frequency, high intensity, you know, a very long duration of training. How do you recover? Because I mean, you must have like the same kind of, you know, martial artist injuries. You'd have like injuries to the knees, to the tater calves, to the wrists. I've seen you talking about using wrist support wraps like um, I used to use in powerlifting. How do you kind of recover from the, such intensity and frequency of training? Do you have a way of like adjusting? Because we're taught to like break fall, for example, during um, martial arts. So you, you land safely from a throw or whatever. Mm-hmm. How do you land? You know, how do you learn to do that when it's going into water? Because that's a whole kettle of fish. Yeah, so so basically the technique of how we land in the water, it one, it protects our head, it protects our shoulders, our neck, but it also helps us enter the water cleanly. Um, but really, like, all we, all our training is based off of, you know, the good technique, but also being safe. Um, that's a huge priority. But in the end, a lot of the diving injuries are overuse injuries, over impact injuries. So like jumpers, knee, um, shoulder injuries, wrist injuries, um, from all that impact. Cause we do around like a hundred to 130 dives a day. So Oof. that impact over and over and over and over it's, it's a lot on the body. Um, like for me, I get massive tricep problems and it's such a weird injury because never hurt anyone with like, super sore triceps like every week but that's my problem so generally I, I'll you know ice a lot try to eat properly make sure I sleep properly after a, a hard week and and you know that's one of the struggles too with like having you know socialization on the weekend and stuff too because you have like a long week and then you want to see your friends you want to go to a party but then you're like okay my body really needs to rest so um 
for me, it's really like resting and, you know, the ice, drinking a lot of water. I haven't necessarily found the the perfect formula for, formula yet, but um, if someone finds it, I would love to hear it because <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> I think they would become a multi-millionaire if they could. Yeah, um, help. Because that's the thing, isn't it? It's like people kind of go, oh, you're only diving into water, but it's when you're doing it repeatedly and, mm-hmm. you know, it's you're twisting your body and you're holding, you have to hold it, like just try to do, say, uh, like a pike, in mm-hmm. gymnastics it's tidy enough imagine doing that repetitively and then having to push yourself off a hard um, a hard board hit water at such an impact as well i mean it's it must be exhausting on the body i mean is there a, a way that you can re- recover have you got a recovery protocol apart from sort of ice and hopeful is it i mean do you use like massage guns do you use lacrosse mm-hmm. balls for tight muscles i've seen you like to cook is mm-hmm. that just a kind of way to mentally disassociate from training? Um, I just like learning new things. So uh, learning how to cook is also like, it's something that I get to to learn and add to my resume and, you know, um, treat myself as well and my fiance. But um, as for like recovery stuff, yeah, the lacrosse balls, the massage guns, all that is in my repertoire. Like I just, I use them every day, but I don't necessarily look at them as like recovery. They're also like, preparation for when I get in the water like Mm. prepping my muscles for the impact relaxing them enough so that they're not already contracted and super super tight when I get into the water because I can tell you that hitting the water off a 10 meter feels like hitting concrete like I had a an accident about two months ago where I smacked like I belly flopped off of the seven meter and I was very concussed but I can tell you that like it felt like I was jumping onto concrete so um really like preparing your body you can't prepare your body for that but like preparing your body for like the overuse and all that stuff is useful to have the massage guns we get a lot of massages I used to get a massage every week once a week I see a physio at least twice a week um lots of you know um preparation exercises strengthening exercises and you know doing those movements on dry land 20 30 times before we get in the water it really helps as well prepare your body so it's time for a quick break there are millions of potential products to buy so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money simple you go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. Yeah, because I think I've seen that on your social media, that one, and you you know, you're just like... You just you seem to kind of shake it off on the social media, but it looks like I've concussed myself, and I know how painful that was. And I looked at it and just thought, the fact you got straight back up, like you know, once you recovered, was amazing. To think, like yeah. you know, the 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 stress that you put yourself into. I mean, you you came and got injured just before the Olympics, how, mm-hmm. and then to come back and have that mentality and that strength of character to say no, I'm not giving up. My dream's going to go on. I'm going to do this. How did you learn to deal with the the cameras, the fame, the, you know, just the attention that going to such a prestigious event like that brings? 
you know, because co- competitions are normal sort of set up and there's probably a couple hundred spectators. But this had been the sort of your dream uh-huh. to go to your first Olympics. How on earth do you shout out the crowds, the cameras, the COVID situation and just focus on enjoying the experience and smashing it? Because you did. Yeah, well, I had to learn how to kind of just enjoy being interviewed. I didn't necessarily enjoy it at the beginning. And, you know, especially after my injury, it was really tough. I avoided, um, you know, giving any statements because I didn't want anyone to know how bad it was. Um, I did one interview and I told them that we were still waiting for doctors' um, suggestions and stuff like that, which was true, but I also didn't want to, you know, give them the extent of it because I wanted to be able to focus on myself and focus on, you know, my goals and not about what the media was saying and not about, um, you know, what people are thinking. So I I struggled a little bit with the media as well um, when I first moved to Montreal because when I moved, the goal was to be a synchro partner for Megan, which I ended up becoming. Um, but her previous partnership was around 11 years long um, with a close friend of mine now. Her name is Rosalind Filion, and they were incredible. They had a really good partnership. But when I first started diving with Megan, all my identity seemed to be through the media or when I got interviewed was the the new Rosie or filling in mm-hmm. Rosie's shoes or, you know, like, how does it feel to be stepping in in Rosie's shoes and filling such big shoes and all this. And um, I did a an interview. I did – someone did an article on me, and I did a really big interview about – it was it, said, it was called um, I Am Not Rosalind Filion, I'm Kaylee Mackay. And it was kind of a – just a, a look into my perspective of, like, who I am. I, I moved to Montreal to become my own diver, to, you know – push myself, push the limits of diving, push the limits of women in sport and not necessarily to fill in any, any shoes. And as much as I looked up to these two people, like this partnership, I wanted to be able to create my own partnership with Megan and not have all of our successes or achievements kind of brushed off because we didn't achieve what they had achieved, you know, getting fourth at the Olympics when Rosalind and Megan had gotten two bronzes already together. Um, that would have been a completely different, you know, feeling if the media was still asking those questions. So mm. I had to learn how to kind of navigate those situations. And there was was a few times where I was getting interviewed and I said, oh, I'm not going to answer that question because it's not relevant. Like, I'm my own diver. And if you want to ask me what I think about Rosalind or what I think about her career, I will tell you that it was amazing. And she was a huge inspiration for me. She was one of my idols growing up, but I, I was getting kind of tired of getting compared to her. So, um, it's, it's important to, you know, see the media as a positive thing, but also to know that you have control over like what you can, what you tell them and you can tell them that you don't want to make a comment. And that kind of helped me, um, navigate how I saw it and also learning how to use social media and kind of block out people that, kind of just seek um your attention they'll say really mean things just to get a response from you and with you know my instagram i get quite a bit of that and it's all a learning curve but um i mean at the olympics it was pretty funny to see um after my event i couldn't walk after my event and we had to go to the mixed zone and there's probably 20 reporters and 
I did two interviews and then I looked at Megan. I'm like, I'm going to have to tell this story 18 more times. So yep. basically <laughs> we got all the, the, all the reporters to just huddle up in a, in a ball, put all the microphones in the middle and they all would ask questions. And when they found out how bad my injury was, the room just went silent. So I was, I was happy that I didn't necessarily put it into the media um, when I got injured because I know that I would have had so much, like so many people wanting to know, how's your training going? Are you going to compete? Um, how's your healing? Why are you still pushing yourself? All that stuff. So I was able to kind of focus on myself and focus on my journey and what I wanted to do instead of what the media was saying about me and all that. Cause definitely felt it after the Olympics too. Cause not all the articles were very positive. I mean, because that was what bugged me about it when I was looking at a lot of stuff. It was like, oh, she's replacing this one. She's yeah. she's the new this one. And I was like, no, she's creating her own legacy. Mm-hmm. She's smashing it. And you're opening up the world to like what diving is and you're showcasing behind the scenes and in training and stuff like that. And I think that's what a lot of people forget is what a troll on an internet thinks is funny. That mm-hmm. can be really harmful to somebody, like if they're going through something and they're struggling. I mean, I don't consider myself media, like doing the podcast. I I would consider these a chats, but yeah. I could see how it could be so frustrating getting asked the same question, or you know, like to set the scene, you kind of have to ask the, oh, how did you get into diving kind of things. But I don't think they're as interesting as finding out what makes that person tick, mm-hmm. and I think that's what sometimes it's almost like fluff pieces. Some of these interviews do mm-hmm. and it must be so frustrating when you come out and you know you've done an amazing thing you've transformed your life to get to that point and they're asking you something about so what's it like to be the new ex mm-hmm. or when it's you know they should be looking at you as a person and finding out what makes you tick and finding that the inspiration and that point of view that makes you go hell yeah this is why yeah. kaylee's a burning sensation <laughs> diving did you struggle with like a post-Olympic depression? Did you struggle oh. getting back to normality after you achieved your dream? Because you're going to go to the next few, you know, so I wouldn't worry about going and getting medals and, you know, competing. And did it just, did the world go a bit flatter, a bit quieter after you came back? Oh man, yeah. This is the, this is something that I really want to have more conversations about. The post-Olympic depression is something that, no one talks about or really prepares you for. And it's something that I have been trying to talk a bit more about, but it hit me like a brick. <laughs> like, I I think I'm still kind of recovering from it. Like, I'm still in it. It's been eight months, and I'm still feeling it. You go from training your whole life to meet, to, to reach this one spot. And that two weeks that you're at the Olympics, it's absolutely incredible and it's the biggest high that you've had and it's a constant high even like with my ankle injury it was still a high because I was like I'm gonna be an Olympian like I this is something that I've been working for since I was six like that's incredible and then you know it's great you have all this media attention people know your name um I you know finished the Olympics had to leave right after my event so I didn't get to stay for like the whole time but then I went back to Calgary and and all you are, like, is an Olympian. Like, no one no one really get like, when you come back from the Olympics, like, I got my tattoo, and that's, it's really cool. Like, it's awesome, great attention. But the more that you hear it, like, wow, you're an Olympian. Wow, you're an Olympian. It kind of just, like, makes you feel 
less like a person and you realize that life isn't all the Olympics. So like that was a huge perspective change of mine because I thought I was going to change as a person after the Olympics. I thought that I was going to change just because I had Olympian beside my name, but it might have changed me a little bit in the sense of like me wanting to be more vocal about mental health, about my journey, about, you know, what it's actually like to be an athlete aspiring to go to the Olympics um, and show the ups and downs. Um, But that post-Olympic depression, after that kind of high goes away, it's really, really hard to, to get back into it. And I talked to my fiance about it before the Olympics because he was like, you don't need to rush back after the Olympics, especially with your ankle injury. Like, don't rush back. Because he told me that with his, he went to the Olympics, came back more motivated than ever, and then didn't really take much time for himself after the Olympics to, like, take that vacation that we haven't had in the past four or five years. Um, So he rushed back and learned all these dives. And then his post-Olympic depression kind of hit him, you know, a little bit later. So I tried to take more time for myself. after the Olympics to really just enjoy life, you know, go on, go to those parties, go see my friends, see my family, travel a little bit, um, which was nice. But then once I got back to the pool, it was kind of like, oh man, especially with my ankle injury, because it wasn't healed. Um, Like I'm still in my boot as we speak right now, I'm in my air cast Um, (laughs) because like it's, it's a long journey to come back and everyone has their own kind of story with their post-Olympic depression, but I think the biggest thing of it, it's, it's not even just the Olympics. Like you go, if you go from any high in your life to normal life right away, it's going to hit you. And, and that, that big difference in like the feelings that you get when you wake up is just, it's kind of, it's just depressing. Like that's the only way I can express it. And it's hard to motivate yourself, but it gets better. And, and the way that I got through it was just setting small goals that, made me feel successful every day. And I'm continuing to do that. And not all the days are great. But um, if you can look back on your week and think that you've achieved something, then then it helps. And I mean, that's an awesome answer, because you see that a lot of, you know, the up to the Olympics, and then the story kind of just ends, they don't kind of go back to them after and say, how did you, you know, how did they go back to being the person after, mm-hmm. you know, like no one can ever take away what you've done, you know, the, the fact you've gone to the Olympics, like that's an amazing legacy and amazing, amazing achievement. But then they don't, they forget you're a person after. And mm-hmm. I think that's the the beauty of your social media, the like Molly's social media, like the videos she was showing when she was like, and tears and she was having terrible days and you know you were talking about your mental health I mean I struggle with depression and feeling low and stuff like that and I can really appreciate how much of a struggle it can be sometimes just getting out of bed and and going on and especially coming from something where you're at the peak of your sport and suddenly you're going back to let's just go back to training you know do you like do you reset your goals at that point do you take some time out do you journal do you kind of or did you just want to, you know, spend a bit of time with your fiance? I mean, congratulations, by the way. So I should have said that at the start. Um, do you think, like, you know, how do you juggle just being you and the training? Have you learned how to deal with your mental health at all? Do you get that training from your, like, your sports body to kind of to how to deal with things, how to deal with the stresses of training, being away from family and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Well, over the years, I've learned that my mental health is 
just as important or more important than my like as my physical health um, in regards to my sport. I have been spending in the past two years, I've been spending a lot more time working on myself mentally. Um, I struggle with anxiety and uh, I have an eating disorder. So having an eating disorder in a sport where you always need to be like peak shape, you always need to be healthy enough and strong and you have to have the energy. It was something that I really had to address. So um, I've been working, we have, I have a psychologist, um, a nutritionist, and, you know, we work really closely, but after the Olympics, I kind of just wanted a break from diving. I just wanted to like, get some burgers. Yeah, exactly. I literally, I did an interview right after my event and they said, what's the first thing you're going to eat? And I said, an A&W burger. And I did that. Like first thing I ate when I got home was a burger and it was beautiful. And (laughs) it was super, like, it was just, it was nice to like, not really think about diving or not go to diving every day and just like be able to like chill. Um, and I think that that was really healthy to do after the Olympics and not jump right back into it. But for sure, when I did get back, you know, it's, it's just training. And with my ankle, I had to set new goals and, you know, take it in stride because the Olympics are actually not that far away, but, um, they, when you come back from the Olympics, you got to take it year by year. You got to go through that whole thing again. You got to qualify, you got to open the spot. So, Um, It was all just about like, how do we progress and, you know, prepare for the upcoming, not the upcoming Olympics, but the upcoming year? What's the biggest thing this year? So for me, the biggest thing this year would be Commonwealth Games. So that's kind of where our brain's been at. um, As for planning and trying to prepare for my diving, getting my dives up and getting my ankle healthy. Uh, I mean, it's great to hear you you talk about using like a psychologist. Um, I mean, I follow quite a few of them on like social media, and that's helped me just alone. I mean, I the problem with like mental health is a lot of people feel like it's just theirs. You know, they don't know that they're not their thoughts. Sometimes that the thoughts are just your brain throwing out prompts. It's not actually commands for you. So mm-hmm. sometimes they feel worthless and upset and that. And I think it's great to see athletes like yourself be more open about it and talk about eating disorders and things like that. And it helps so many young kids go, okay, I can talk about this. I can go and ask for help and, you know, not suffer in silence because when I was younger, it was not it was not really acceptable to talk about mental health issues and no. things like that. And I'm so glad it's got so much better. And how, what kind of things do you do with your psychologist? Do you, is it just sort of talk therapy? I mean, I've done CBT, NLP, things like that. And I found those really helped shape the kind of thoughts. Do, how do, how do you work with your sports psychologist? Like, does it, obviously, if you, if you can talk about it, but is it, yeah. does it, have you found something that benefits you? Is it a kind of, how did you find the right psychologist that sort of let you explore how you're feeling, et cetera? Um, well, for me, really, like all of my mental health struggles are generally based from anxiety. And like, just the biggest thing of, of therapy was um, trying to break down what's making me anxious and where it's coming from. And, you know, take it like bit by bit and seeing, oh, like when you take it apart like that, it's actually not so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is this a valid reason to feel anxious? And is this a, like for my eating disorder is like, okay, where is it coming from? And breaking it down and trying to like, just take it bit by bit really helped me, you know, if I can think logically about it, generally it, it, cause like when you're anxious and overwhelmed, it's generally pent up thoughts that aren't necessarily logical. Like you can think about 
so many things at the same time and that's just overwhelming and and makes you anxious but when you look at them one by one and you complete them or one by one and you address them one by one generally it's not so bad so that's kind of like the main thing for me um because I'll I'll start thinking about you know like I feel overweight I feel like I like I eat too much um I don't like the way I look on tv I have a competition in two weeks I have to do this I have to get this many dives in um like lot like all those things kind of build up and I would have to take a step back and address each of them um one by one so that's kind of the main thing for me um still learning though so <laughs> no that's it's fantastic that you're kind of you've got that aspect down now you know so you're working on that you're working on your skill development you're working on your approach to dealing with media dealing with those knob ends who leave harmful comments on social media learning to say no i'm not interested in talking about that um mm-hmm. you know i'm creating my own legacy that's why i'm so keen to have you on it's like you know it, to be injured just before the Olympics and come back and still get forth to create a social media platform that's inspiring and being an ambassador for um, others to inspire other kids to get into like diving and swimming and things like that. And to be open and honest about like things like eating disorders. And that. That's amazing. You know that I don't think you give yourself enough credit for the, mm-hmm. the amazing things you're doing. I mean, I would have struggled enough just with the way modern swimsuits now have, like, they've almost forgotten how to cover the butt. You know, they're always got your, like, as big, it looks like a big wedgie sometimes. <laughs> and I'd be more worried about, like, what I look like from the back at times. So I think that's the beauty of nowadays is there's more access to, like, massages to sports th- psychologists to let you get to just perform long term. So what's the goals now? Are you just taking day by day, having fun, planning your wedding, looking okay. at competitions? Or what do you want your legacy to be? Um, I mean, I feel like I should be giving myself more credit on the daily. Like I, I am trying to build a good legacy um, in diving to create a positive environment. Um, that was something that I kind of struggled with growing up was like the environment of diving. It didn't necessarily feel super positive to me. And um, I find that I see kids, you know, progress so much better when it's a positive environment. And right now it's, it's changing and it feels really good to see that. Um, my goals for this year, you know, I'm taking it day by day right now, just because of my ankle. Um, I'm trying to, you know, have little victories every day. Um, because it's really up and down and we're doing a lot of rehab and therapy and I'm still recovering from that. And that has a huge impact on my mental health. Um, the chronic pain, you know, chronic pain is a huge thing mm-hmm. for mental health. It, it, it really, it's been bothering me quite a bit, but um, it's been nice to take those little victories. Like yesterday um, was actually the first time I've done a dive on 10 meters since the Olympics, since my last dive at the Olympics, it was my first time back on the 10 meter doing a dive. So um, that was a huge victory for me. And and even though my ankle isn't a hundred percent right now, I'm still able to get those victories. Um, so right now, you know, I'm working towards qualifying for Commonwealth games and then hopefully um, Commonwealth games, we can medal. Um, that would be my biggest goal. I'd love to medal individually. And that would be, amazing and then also metal and synchro um but yeah so those are the goals and my my legacy would just I just want it to be you know enjoying the sport that you're doing leaving a positive footprint helping people along the way and sharing your journey so that you know 
it's hard to think that people are also struggling with what you're struggling, but something that Molly, my best friend has helped me with was we, we talk about our mental health and we both see a lot of similarities in what we go through and having that person to talk to, or just knowing that someone else is going through, it makes you feel so much less alone. So mm. um, I've been trying to, you know, open up about that, share it on social media, be vulnerable and um, hopefully help a few people along the way. And you're certainly doing that. And I mean, that takes a lot of strength, a lot of like guts to put yourself out there. Like it, when I first started this, I found it really difficult to be open and honest. And I found when you were, you showed your dark side, other people could relate to it and it could lead to proper open and frank discussions. How did you get back onto the the horse, so to speak, when you, you know, you, cause you've said on your social media, it's, it doesn't like, I think you put a dive app and you said, it doesn't look like much, but that's mm-hmm. the first time I've managed to do this. And I was thinking, it looks amazing, you know, to do that yeah. with a sore ankle and to have the, the nerves about what could potentially go wrong. And I'm sure it was probably going through your mind before you did the dive. How do you build that, break that barrier down to, you know, to jump back on the horse, whatever. I hate that saying, but you know what I mean? It's how do you overcome the fear of diving again after the injury? You just got to do it, man. (laughs) Literally (laughs) yesterday I was terrified. I, that dive, especially I've had mental blocks on and, that the the twisting is something that I never understood. Like if you ask me, how do you twist? I can't tell you because it's literally just my muscle memory. I don't hundred percent understand it, but it's my best dive, which is it screws. Like it's crazy. Like I don't understand, but um, I was on the tower and I'm like, wow, I haven't done this for eight months. Like, do I still remember how to do it? And at that point I was like, okay, I've prepared enough. Like I've done this a million times before. It's just been a while. And I just count in my head, one, two, three, go. And you just got to go like this. It was, that was the biggest thing. I was on the platform with my buddy, um, Rylan. He went to the Olympics as well. And he's like, you got it. Just go for it. Just, you got to go. And I'm like, okay, I guess you got to go. <laughs> and it turned out fine. So it's good. Well, that then gives you the reference points to go again and again and yeah. again. It's just that initial kind of, oh, fuck, let's just do this. And close yeah. your eyes and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, and did you find that like, you've traveled the world now, you know, you've been to like Asia, Europe, all these sort of places to compete and, you know, you're going off to the Commonwealth Games and stuff. How do you think those travels have changed you as a person? You know, has it changed your outlook on life about different cultures and things like that? Yeah, well, it's it's a beautiful gift that, you know, we get as athletes to be able to travel the world and, um, you know, to meet new people. I've got a lot of friends in England and, you know, they're, it's friendships that like I wouldn't you know, want to live without it. I'm really grateful for them and being able to see the cultures of the world and, you know, go places that I wouldn't have really chosen to go, um, without diving. Like we go to, we go to China a lot. Um, I, we went to Malaysia, Japan was beautiful, like Peru. It's just, we have so many, you know, vast experiences and we meet so many different kinds of people that it's, it really opens your eyes to, you know, one, be grateful for what you have because we go to a lot of countries where, you know, the, the living conditions are a lot, you know, lower than what we have and um, just really appreciating what you have and appreciating, you know, the journey and, and everybody as an individual. I think it's pretty cool to be able to get that out of your sport. I love it. I mean, because you're certainly creating a legacy. You know, you're going to be this a superstar in your sport and you're going to be the the new Kaylee Mackay. You know, you're going to be the 
the person that people remember and go, bloody hell, I want to be like her when I'm older. Yeah. You know, you're you're doing an awesome job, and the fact that your documentary uh, uh, putting this on to social media, that you're being open and honest about what makes you tick, what makes you great, but also what makes you struggle, will uh-huh. help the the next generations. And I think that's also going to be a great part of your kind of. Um, I think it's a, Molly calls it her girl gang or her I can't brave, exactly gang. brave gang. Uh, yeah. And it's, I think that's going to be the sort of thing is people will look back and go, they were the ones who inspired me as a kid. And, yeah. you know, and the fact that the people look at you and go like, on, you can see it on your social media now, people going, wow, you're so inspiring. You, you're motivating me to get back in and try a sport. And it must be amazing to look at it like that. But I know we're way over our time. I really, so I, I feel like I could talk to oh. you for days. Um, but I'd love to do another round sometime in the future with you after you won your gold medal. But what would you want people to take from this? What would you want them to have as their kind of take home message, I suppose, mm-hmm. or the, you know, what advice would you offer to people who are maybe wanting to get into diving, swimming, or, you know, to that six year old girl who li- listens, who I don't know how uh-huh. she found the podcast, but thinks uh-huh. I want to go to the, I want to go to the Olympics and be like Kaylee too. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing I want people to take from this would be to just to live your own journey, um, live the way that you want to live it. And if you have a dream, do it. Like I am proof that your childhood dreams, they're not invalid and they're not crazy because I basically had this dream before I could even think rationally. So, um, you know, live your journey do it the way you want to do it and, you know, push yourself to your love to the level that you want to push yourself. But I can tell you that pushing yourself hard and, you know, sacrificing things, you know, it'll pay off. So it's a beautiful answer. And it's, um, this is why, Hey, I always say 30 minutes and I always feel like I could talk to a guest <laughs> for like three days. I almost feel slightly stalkerish because I've followed you no. on social media for so long that, no. you know, you know them, well and then when you speak to them they're kind of like how did you know about that how did you know about that (laughs) and how would you want people to follow I mean you've got a great website you've got a really great support team you know you're gonna you're shortly going to become Mr. and Mrs. how's the wedding planning going? Wedding planning is great um almost done planning you know there's always these little things that you know come up but we're getting married in the mountains so I'm super excited about that and um it's coming pretty fast it's around four months now which is crazy but um it's it's exciting and it's fun I mean I loved your video you did when you were walking around you could just see yes. the, the childhood wonder in your eyes as you were seeing yeah. the, the venues and stuff like that it does look amazing and if you're looking for a flower girl I'm always available I'm another Mackay oh. you know <laughs> oh yeah that could work I'll, I'll, get, I'll get you here <laughs> she'll be the, the ugliest uh, flower girl of all time <laughs> that's it it's okay. Well, we'll get you a pretty dress. I'm telling you, if you can bring, <laughs> get one to bring out the color in my eyes, I find I find it's just it's a joy to speak to somebody that I followed on social media and kind of connect. You know, you feel like you inspire people without even actually meeting them. To, so to have the chance to see that you're the same person in you oh. know as you are on social media, as you are on the board, and you're just this awesome person who's doing great work and creating their own legacy it's it's fantastic so how would you advise people to fight to connect with you like follow you on social media like Mm -hmm. what's your website your instagram and have you got anything coming up that people can kind of follow in 
Um, I mean, I would suggest that you follow me on my Instagram. That's my main um, feed of, of social media. So I, at K Makai, it's C-A-E-M-C-K-A-Y. Um, my Facebook as well. I have TikTok. Um, and uh, I don't have necessarily anything um, coming up uh, plans for social media, but um, looking forward to kind of showing people more about what my day looks like. Um, how I train and maybe incorporating a little bit more of my outside life into my social media. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.